Hey listeners, I recently launched an ad-free Serial Napper feed so that you can enjoy the podcast without interruptions. Elevate your Serial Napper listening experience by joining my Patreon community and get yourself an ad-free feed on Spotify. For just $2 a month, you can become a member today and unlock ad-free episodes while still supporting the podcast. It's super easy. Just visit Serial Napper on your Spotify app and click the button at the top that says exclusive episodes for subscribers. Don't use Spotify for your listening? No problem. Just visit patreon.com slash Serial Napper to get your episodes ad-free and enjoy uninterrupted storytelling while you get your naps in. Mother's Day is almost here. Have you found that truly special sentimental gift for your mom yet? Don't worry, I got you. MyLifeInABook.com is a unique service that turns your mom's life stories into a beautiful book. Here's how it works. Every week, MyLifeInABook.com will send her a question via email. These can be pre-written questions about her life or any custom questions that you want to ask. And then she can either type her response or use their voice-to-text feature And MyLifeInABook.com compiles all of her responses into a beautiful keepsake book. Imagine discovering stories about her youth, adventures, and the challenges that she overcame. This book becomes a legacy, something you and your children can treasure forever. Your mom has given you a lifetime of stories. This is your chance to give her a way to share them. I loved this idea so much that I've started my own My Life in a Book for my children to have. The thought of my son and daughter being able to learn about my life story as they grow into their own adulthood is truly special. It's been an enjoyable journey of self-reflection for me too, with questions like, which one event made the greatest impact on your life? It's brought back memories I didn't even know I had. I love it, and I know your mother will too. Check out mylifeinabook.com and use code SERIALNAPPER at checkout for 10% off. Create an unforgettable gift for your mom this Mother's Day. That's mylifeinabook.com and use code SERIALNAPPER for 10% off today. Hey everyone, konnichiwa. Nikki Young here, back with my true crime podcast series, Serial Napper. All right, tonight we are talking about a notorious New Brunswick, Canada murderer dubbed the Monster of the Miramichi. This case is one that will never be forgotten by those who live through it, or really for anyone living in the east coast of Canada. Alan Legere went on a violent and murderous rampage in the late 1980s, committing crimes so atrocious it's difficult to imagine any human being could be capable of something so evil. But before we jump in, I want to talk about tonight's sponsor, and you are going to love this one, so listen up. Sandra Hilliard is a professional in the field of remote viewing, having successfully assisted law enforcement agencies around the world, and she is holding a free introductory course on the 29th of August 2020 in remote viewing. 
If you're like me, you likely haven't heard of the term remote viewing as it relates to crime investigations. Well, you're probably familiar with forensic sketch artists, right? After speaking with a witness and asking them questions about their appearance, they'll create a sketch of a potential suspect. Well, with remote viewers, the specialist is trained to create a sketch of a person, place, item, or event using the psychic abilities of their mind. Remote viewers are usually hired in cases where there are no witnesses or no witnesses have come forward. With little or no evidence or witnesses in a case, criminal cases often come to a halt while the public and families demand a result. And this is where remote viewers can really help. You have no idea just how powerful the mind can be. Does this sound like something you'd like to learn more about? Check out SandraHillard.com to learn more, and I'll also have her link in the show notes. Stay tuned because I'll be talking more about how Sandra has used remote viewing to help solve real-life cases and how you can join her free introductory course. Okay, let's jump into tonight's case, the story of the monster of the Miramichi, Alan Legere. We'll start with Alan's upbringing. What would cause a person to turn into such a monster? Was it nurture or was it nature? Alan Joseph Legere was born on the 13th of February, 1948, in Chatham, New Brunswick. He grew up in a really rough part of town, and as a small, somewhat fragile-looking child, he discovered that he had to try and talk a big talk in order to keep from having the daylights beat out of him. His mother, a single mother, would take in random boarders in order to bring in additional income into the home, and one of these boarders would end up getting her pregnant with Alan before completely disappearing. Now, it was said that his mother would always have strange men coming in and out of the home. She never kept her sexual promiscuity a secret from anyone, including her children. The family was poor, and Alan grew up sharing a bedroom with his sisters. He would often watch them undress, and this developed within him a kind of deviant sexual behavior. It wasn't long before he also began peeping into women's rooms and masturbating as he watched them undress. Like I said before, Alan was naturally just physically smaller However, living in a rough part of town made him want to bulk up in order to be able to protect himself. So, in his young adult years, he began to work out religiously, spending a ton of time building his physique. He was also fairly tall, so as you can imagine, he was quite intimidating. Now, the East Coast of Canada is typically quite religious, with the Roman Catholic Church dominating most of the area, and Alan absolutely despised religion. I'm not even sure if despised is the right word, but he was kind of obsessed with despising religion, and he would go out of his way to make sure people knew exactly how he thought it was a bunch of bullcrap. He would often spread off verses of satanic worship, scaring just about everyone he knew. Alan's first run-in with the law happened in 1979, when he got into a fight with a man and ended up stabbing the man in the face with a broken beer bottle. 
Actually, he almost severed the man's cheek with a broken bottle, twisting it into his face. When police arrived, he attempted to fight the police too. He was a bit of a wild man, and this would only be the beginning of a multitude of violent incidents that he would go on to commit. On June 21st, 1986, Allen and two other younger people he had recruited to help him, Todd Machette and Scott Curtis, decided to rob a convenience store owned by an elderly couple named John and Mary Glendening. It was clear from the beginning that Allen was the ringleader in this whole thing, and Todd and Scott were basically his two henchmen just along for the ride. What was supposed to be a simple robbery would turn into a total ambush. They cut the power to the store before they barged in and demanded to be given the safe. The man who owned the store, John, told Allen that he didn't have a safe, but this was not the answer that Allen wanted to hear, so he beat him relentlessly. And when John would lose consciousness, Alan would turn his attention to his wife, Mary, and beat her too. And then, Alan took it a step further. He went on to rape Mary. At one point, Mary also lost consciousness, and when she awoke, she found her husband beaten to death lying beside her. Mary was able to crawl up the stairs to the phone and dial 911. The dispatcher spoke with Mary on the phone until the emergency forces arrived. Police tracked down the three men and arrested all of them. Todd Machette pleaded guilty to murdering John and brutally beating his wife Mary. However, Scott Curtis and Alan Legere would later be convicted at trial. Allen began serving his murder sentence at the Atlantic Institution Maximum Security Penitentiary in Renew Quarryville, New Brunswick. Here, he was an absolute model prisoner. He furthered his education, he read, he made friends with guards, he just did everything that he could to put on a good front. But it wasn't because he was a changed man. He just had a plan. On May 3rd, 1989, Alan Legere was transported from the penitentiary to the Dr. George L. Dumont Regional Hospital in Moncton, New Brunswick, for the treatment of an ear infection. Even the ear infection was part of his plan. He had poured his own urine into his ear in order to cause the infection. While at the hospital, he somehow convinced the guards who were escorting him to let him use the washroom alone. Remember, he had befriended the guards, so obviously they thought that they could trust him to use the bathroom by himself. But there he picked the lock on his handcuffs. He had actually concealed a sharpened piece of metal that was taken from his prison TV antenna, and he put it somewhere on his person. I'll just let you guess where he had concealed the sharpened TV antenna. But he was able to pick the lock on his handcuffs, and once he got them off, he ran out of the bathroom and pointed this antenna at the officers, threatening to harm them if they came any closer to him. The guards at the time were only armed with pepper spray, and it all happened so quickly that Alan was able to flee the building and carjack a vehicle to get the hell out of there. Basically, the guards were pepper spraying the back of Alan's head as he ran away from them, which obviously would do no good. 
in the hospital parking lot, Allen abducted a woman named Peggy Olive and forced her into the car and made her drive him away from the hospital. Allen was able to escape the police, and later Peggy was released unharmed. Peggy went on to say that his behavior was really strange. One minute, he would appear to be very menacing and scary, and then the next, he seemed normal and kind. And when he dropped her off on the side of the road, he told her, don't worry, I won't destroy your car. The manhunt for Alan Legere was on, and while police knew that he had a violent past involving rape and murder on his record, there was no way that they could predict just how depraved he would become. To everyone's surprise, Alan headed right back to the Miramichi area that he once lived in, which is kind of strange, right? Everyone thought he would want to get as far away as possible to escape being captured again. But Alan was pissed off at the way that his community had treated him, and he was mad about his sentencing, so he was on a mission for revenge. Alan would be on the run from police for seven months. And before being captured, he would go on to murder four more people, as well as commit arson and multiple sexual assaults, sending the community into a frenzy, fearful that they could be next on his list. His first attack would be on Annie and Nina Flam, who were two pillars of the community. Annie, who was 75 years old at the time, owned a popular grocery store, in the area and lived with her sister-in-law Nina, who was 61 years old. Alan entered their home, which was located just above their grocery store, wearing a mask and robbed the women. Then he tied each of them individually to their beds. Nina was strangled and beaten. She ultimately faked her death, and so Alan gave up on her and went to Annie's room. Annie would not be as lucky. Alan brutally beat and sexually assaulted her as well before she died. Then he set the store below the apartment on fire, hoping it would all go up in a blaze, covering his tracks. Emergency service workers arrived to the scene quite quickly to battle the fire. They found Nina badly beaten and burned, but alive. She told police that she had heard footsteps coming up the stairs to her room, and when she got up to investigate the noise, a man had rushed into her room. The man tied her up, beat her, then raped her, leaving her for dead. Nina was able to untie herself and free herself from the bedsheets and fought her way through the smoke and flames, but she collapsed at the foot of her stairs. Thankfully, police found her before it was too late. But as police made their way through the rest of the apartment, they discovered that her sister Annie had suffered a similar attack and ultimately had died after being suffocated by her own vomit from the trauma that she had endured. When this story hit the news, people began to speculate pretty much right away that it may have been Alan Legere who was still on the run having recently escaped from prison, but nothing was confirmed. Police just weren't sure. They didn't really have any leads. They didn't know who could have done such a thing. But they didn't have to wait long for solid proof that Alan was, in fact, back in the neighborhood. A local had caught a man attempting to break into his house, and when he confronted the man, the man fled. 
The next morning, the man found glasses left on his lawn and brought them into the police. They were identified as the same glasses that Legere had been prescribed in prison. Police now knew that Alan Legere was in town and causing these random acts of violence. People were really afraid, envisioning Alan hiding in dark corners, in the woods, just waiting to pounce. He made sure to instill fear in everyone. He continued to break into people's homes just for the fun of it all. There were reports of people actually waking up to find him standing at the end of their bed watching them sleep. I can't imagine how horrific this would be to see, especially knowing the violence that he had inflicted on these two elderly women prior. Those who didn't wake up to find him standing at the end of the bed would wake up to find their clothes laid out on top of them. This was sort of his signature thing that he would do just to say, I was there and I was watching you. My family is getting ready to make a big move across the ocean to a place where English isn't the spoken language. This isn't my first rodeo, so I'm making sure I'm fully prepared by learning the language ahead of time. Sure, I know I can use an app once I get there, but you'd be shocked by how much gets lost in translation. I want to talk like a local, which is why I'm excited to use Rosetta Stone, the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone truly immerses you in the language you want to learn and has been a trusted expert for 30 years with millions of users and 25 languages offered, including Spanish, French, Italian, German, and more. Rosetta Stone helps you to think in the language you're learning using an intuitive process that's designed for long-term retention. Their built-in True Accent feature gives you feedback on your pronunciation so that you're easily understood by native speakers. They have convenient desktop and app options, so you can learn on the go, and they offer a lifetime membership that includes all 25 languages at an incredible value. And now you can save even more with 50% off. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Serial Napper listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash today today. Sunnier, warmer days are almost here. Why not get a head start on looking and feeling your best this summer by trying something new like Factors No Prep, No Mess meals that are ready to eat in just two minutes? Get a helping hand to meet your wellness goals with Factors chef-crafted meals that include different nutritional options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Healthy meal planning has never looked so good with Factors Fresh, Never Frozen Meals that are also dietitian approved. No matter how busy you are, Factor can help kickstart and maintain a new healthy routine by making it easy to enjoy nutritious meals on the go. Plus, you'll never get bored eating the same thing every day because they offer 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week. 
We're talking restaurant-quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon, because eating healthy doesn't have to be boring. Personally, I love not having to overthink what I'm going to eat every single day, because that's half the battle. And I don't have to bother with shopping, prepping, cooking, or cleaning up. But the best part is, these meals are delicious, with ingredients you can trust. Crush your wellness goals this May. Head to factormeals.com slash napper50 and use code napper50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code napper50 at factormeals.com slash napper50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. On October 13, 1989, in Newcastle, New Brunswick, another murder would happen at the hands of Alan Legere. Elderly sisters Donna and Linda Downey were attacked and murdered in their own home, and again, the home was set on fire. The sisters had been beaten, strangled, and raped, their bodies badly burned in the fire. They had no previous connection to Alan. This was just another random attack. And now it was clear that he somehow got off on the idea of overpowering the elderly, as everyone that he had attacked was elderly and weak. His crime spree sparked a wave of fear in the area. People who lived alone moved in with family and friends for safety, and gun sales increased. And if you know anything about Canada, we use our guns for hunting, but it's much less common to actually have guns for protection. Very few people went out after dark, and Halloween trick-or-treating was canceled that year. Police were working around the clock to try and find him before he had the chance to strike again. And while the manhunt was on, a new type of forensic evidence was being collected from his crimes. DNA evidence. Through his DNA, police were able to definitively link Alan Legere to the murders of Annie Anita Flam and Donna and Linda Downey. His case would actually be one of the first in Canada to use DNA evidence as a way to connect crimes to an individual. While all of this was going on in the background... Alan would encounter his final victim. Now, this attack was particularly brutal in the way that it was done and because of who the victim was. It really affected the community spiritually. On November 16th, at the Nativity of the Blessed Virgin Mary Church in Chatham Head, the congregation waited for Father James Smith to arrive to give his sermon. Father James Smith had actually been a beacon of hope in the community in recent months, a source of light. People often sat with him to express their fear of what was happening in the community, and he had comforted them. Now, the parishioners looked in through the windows and found the father lying on the floor, beaten to death. There was blood all over the place. Alan had tortured the priest over a long period of time. He was probably trying to get him to open the safe. Alan had sliced his throat and cut up his chest. The postmortem later showed that Alan had actually leaped onto the priest and separated his ribs from the sternum. 
After this brutal attack, he stole Father Smith's car and took off. He later ditched the car at a motel. And then a week later, he went on to hijack a taxi at gunpoint, demanding to be taken to Miramichi. The taxi driver lost control and ended up putting the taxi in the ditch. So Alan found another plan. He went on to board a train to Quebec where he would pawn off the Downey sisters' jewelry for cash. He was completely unfazed by the brutality of the crimes he had just committed. The police were tipped off that he was in Montreal, so the Quebec police had been told to search for a man with an eagle tattoo on his arm, like Alan had. Eventually, they actually found Alan, and they thought it was him, so they told him to lift up his sleeve. And when he did, there was no tattoo. But guess what? They had checked the wrong arm. Yeah, this really happened. I think the tattoo was supposed to be on his right arm. I think they were told the tattoo was on his right arm and it was actually on his left arm. So they checked his right arm and it wasn't there and then they just let him go. I have no idea how that happens, but this blew my mind when I read that. So now Alan had all of this infamy. He'd gotten away with so much and now he had even evaded being captured again. So he tried his luck. He decided to head back to Miramichi and maybe cause some more chaos in the community. He carjacked a transport truck, and he was on the road on his way back to Miramichi when police decided that they would set up a barricade to try and catch him. Luckily, when Alan saw the police barricade on the road, he gave up very easily. He didn't harm the truck driver or even attempt to take him hostage. He simply put up his hands and Gavin. You see, Alan Legere is actually a coward. That's why he targeted the elderly in all of his attacks, because he knew that he could overpower them and they wouldn't really fight back. But when it came to the police, he knew he couldn't win and so he didn't bother to put up a fight. So Alan returned to prison to serve out the remaining time from his previous conviction, then, on November 20th, 1990, he was also charged with four new counts of first-degree murder. It took only three hours for him to be convicted, and as I mentioned, it was one of the first cases in Canadian history where the prosecution was based almost entirely on DNA evidence, so they had a solid case against him. Allen was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole for at least 25 years, and then he was sent to the maximum security prison in St. Anne de Plaine, Quebec. In 2015, he was transferred to a maximum security prison in Alberta, and I think that's where he still lives today. In my research, I found a news article from August 4th of this year, just a few weeks ago, because now that he's in his 70s, He's actually seeking day parole. <laughs> like, what? He's seeking day parole. A hearing concerning day parole is actually scheduled to happen in September, so we still don't know what will happen with all of this. Day parole allows offenders to take part in community-based activities. Uh, it's basically to prepare for release on full parole. 
Additionally, there is also potential for offenders to be housed in a halfway house, which is terrifying to think about. I can't imagine this man actually living in a halfway house. We don't have the resources in Canada to be able to properly check in on really dangerous offenders like this. This guy brutally raped and murdered elderly women, setting them on fire. He absolutely tortured a priest. And now he thinks he should get day trips and potentially live in a halfway house. The manhunt for Alan Legere was one of the largest ever in Canadian history. And while the parole board notice does not guarantee that he will actually be granted day parole, and hopefully he doesn't, it has of course once again reminded the victims' families and the Miramichi community of the horrific crimes he committed decades ago. They haven't forgotten, and neither have I, and neither should we. That's all I have for now. I will make sure to update you with any new information that I get, because obviously this is an ongoing situation. The hearing will be held in September, and I will keep you posted, but here's hoping he rots in jail for the remainder of his life. I want to once again thank tonight's sponsor. Go to sandrahilliard.com slash workshops dash training to register for Sandra's free introductory course on the 29th of August 2020 in CRV remote viewing. And make sure you visit her website for full information on the incredible technique of remote viewing. It is seriously cool. I checked out her website and I was blown away by how accurate this technique can be. Remember, the direct link is also over in my show notes. If you want to reach out, you can find me on Facebook at Serial Napper. You can also search for me on Apple or Spotify or any of the main podcasting apps. Check me out over on Twitter at Serial underscore Napper, or you can find me on YouTube. My username is Nikki Young, Serial Napper, all one word. I also have a Patreon account if you're looking for a little extra added bonuses, including one bonus episode ad-free every single month. There's lots of other little perks, so you can go check me out there. Head on over on whatever app you're listening to me on and leave me a review if you don't mind. If you're listening to me on Apple, I think that's probably the easiest way to leave me a review, but I appreciate your support and your listening either way. Until next time, don't be a Dahmer. Bye. I'm Dean. I'm the dad. I'm Laura. I'm the mom. And I'm Crystalyn. I'm the daughter. And together we are... Family Plot! The Family Plot Podcast, a show where we discuss history, folklore, true crime, and the paranormal. Minus all the oogie bits. We are PG-13. Don't ruin the commercial. Do catch us looking into special topics like the origins of fairy tales, Sherlock Holmes, and the trial of Dr. Hyde and Mr. Swope. Find out who Dad Man Crush is. Or what happens in Krista's corner. But behave you two. So come be a part of the fam. Available on Google, iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Family Plot Podcast. Bye!